a rich tradition. College Football Podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Steltonpole. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, good evening. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Well, you know, I'm doing well. You know, we're, we're plugging right along here in good old chilly Valdosta, Georgia. Well, we are – I mean, I, I know we're going to break down the game a little bit, but I, got, I mean, I have to ask this question. How does it feel to be in a position where we potentially could have our Atlanta Braves and Georgia Bulldogs win a title within the same sports year? Um, try not to get my hopes up, but mm-hmm. yes, feels good. It's obviously a uh, a must win kind of situation, or at least it feels like a must win kind of situation. Feels like there's a lot of momentum. Um, kind of almost feel like you're right back in. Um, the realm or the zone just before the SEC championship game where everybody was very excited. Everybody was very, here it comes. We're going to do it. This is it. This is the hurdle. We'll eliminate them from the picture. We'll win the thing and we'll finally, you know, beat Alabama and, you know, maybe have a really strong chance to, uh, to go win a national championship. It, it kind of feels like that again now. And a lot of that because of how Alabama is where they're at, injuries, and all those different things. Yeah. Um, I I want to get this part out, the, the fandom part of the way out of the way first before we actually break down the game. Um, but, I mean, I have to ask, like, how did you feel? Well, you know, b- being the Georgia fan that we are, kind of both of us picked Georgia to win that game. And, you know, I, I think either I or you or both of us kind of picked beat for beat what was going to happen. And it did happen that way. Um Georgia just had too many guys and too, you know, it, obviously they were too hungry. Um, but like, how did you feel during the game? And then, at, you know, after the game. So I'm, I'm the forever pessimistic one on the podcast. And I, there was a part of me that was excited. I was like, okay, get this over with. There's no, you know, there's no issues necessarily. This is the team that's playing at the level, a level that they're capable of playing at. So I was, once there was kind of those first couple of touchdowns and we were moving the ball the way that they were moving it and they were doing the defense the way that they were doing it, I felt good. I felt fine, solid. There's no there's no chance of some sort of stupid collapse here. This team's playing, you know, at a really strong level, especially going into, uh, you know, once it continued into the second half. But there were moments, of course, where that frustration set in of why why can't why can't they do this against Alabama? Like Mm -hmm. there's 3000 college football programs and we can be stone cold killers against all of them, except for Alabama. Like what is like, who is this team and where did they come from? Yeah. And obviously the regular season, I get it. But like, where was this team at in Atlanta? Because this team looks the exact opposite of whatever that was in Atlanta in, in some forms or fashion. I mean, obviously Brock Bowers was, Really, really good, but the difference, of course, then between the two games, Brock Bowers didn't get featured until late in the SEC championship game, and right off the rip, he's featured in this game. So it's like, why can't we be that group, this group, versus Alabama? Where Where is that roadblock at, and how to mm-hmm. move it out of the way? <clears throat> no, yeah. Um, I obviously was, you know, was excited with how well 
you know, everyone seemed to play. I was very excited to see how Stetson Bennett played. Um, I was, I was a little surprised that the, that, that the game got out of hand so early, um, because I thought it was going to happen more in the second half when our depth kicked in. Um, but I, like you, like, I didn't have a, like, I don't even, except for like one picture post of like, you know, Hey, this was me after we won. Like I was excited. Uh, I immediately started thinking, you know, well, this is the biggest win since the Rose bowl in 2017 but it it kind of doesn't matter if we don't win <laughs> you know yeah um and uh we'll, we'll talk more about that here here in a bit um since they're, the, they're really the only really couple pieces of news that i wanted to bring up to you before we dive into the new york new new year's day six games or new year's day five games um is the fact that we have like three thousand players in the transfer portal right now, three thousand. Yeah, no, that's it. Just just that astronomical number. Yeah, and it and obviously the numbers have been around the thousand mark, and even then everybody was you know the reaction has been eye popping that there's a thousand, there's over a thousand people, or there's nine hundred, eight hundred people in there, and there's not eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand available spots to go play. So you can only imagine with 3,000 people, how many of those people are going to have a landing spot? Mm-hmm. And how many are continuously sitting in the in limbo? How many of those portal guys, how long have they been in there? That would be the other interesting thing. Of those 3,000, like, it'd be interesting to go and find who's been in there the longest and how long is that longest. Um are any of those guys holdovers from from last year or two years ago that are still sitting in limbo with no place to go play? Or do a lot of those guys drop down to the FCS or Division II level? Um, and obviously, you can have FCS and Division II level guys uh, in the transfer portal, so maybe some of them are those guys. But still, the point is, that's a lot of people, and you don't have that many spots to um, uh, to fill. So again, you you leave people in limbo. And like we mentioned before we got started, this is probably going to get worse before it gets better because I think it has to get worse for it to sink in to the players who are actually the ones in the portal or the ones getting into the portal for them to then realize, okay, I need to be a little more strategic about the portal and it's not grass is greener on the other side necessarily. I need to be a little more careful about uh, the choices that I'm making. We we have a problem, <laughs> Houston. We have a problem, and it needs to be solved. Um, and but I don't think it's going to be solved or really become less of a problem until these. And we've said this before, but it's probably not going to get fixed until these COVID seniors, super seniors, are gone. Um. Yep. I just I you just got don't a lot of things. Yeah. Go ahead. I, well, that's all I was gonna say. I, I just don't see it. I don't see a natural way of this happening until until that. If that if that's not the case, then it's going to take someone stepping in, having to be the jerk, you know. But you know, I think it was someone who I saw a tweet or something like that that came out and said, "Ever you know, everyone wanted the transfer portal, and some guy said, okay, let's do it,' and then no one said how it's going to get done, mm-hmm. and that is what we're seeing." You know, right. And and I think to further that point, the idea is, 
you know, co- well, coaches get to move around and do whatever they want to. And so now the players get to move around and do whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. And really and truly, on from our perspective and from the outside, you know, it, it looks like coaches get to move around, but there are buyouts involved and there are contracts and lawyers and language in contracts that involve lawyers. And they have to stand and do all those conversating conversations and such. And maybe, maybe there are times where it gets glossed over that, you know, a certain place isn't going to fire a coach this year because the buyout money is too much and they need to wait another year. Well, that's not the coach getting to do whatever the whatever he wants or the program getting to do whatever he wants. The the buyout stuff is is in play or the you know, if the coach is leaving. Whatever. The point is there are some checks and balances involved, whether we see them a lot or not, they're involved. And right now there's not a lot of checks and balances involved with the transfer portal other than there's three thousand people in there and it's kind of a log jam. And once you get in there, there's no there's no guarantee that you're gonna get out unless you have a five star next to your name from the recruiting days. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it it's just like you said, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. I'm just hoping that I'm hoping that something happens. I like I just don't know what else to I, I don't know what else to say other than, you know, I just I hope it gets figured out and I hope it gets figured out soon because this three years ago, two years ago, two or three years ago, people were saying, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, look how many look how many college basketball players are in there tra- are transferring in there, and it was in the thousands. And fast forward to two years after that argument was given, we are, we're now at three thousand. We're we're mm-hmm. at the level of college basketball. And the thing is, like they don't they didn't have a extra COVID year that became that. Like they've been having a problem for years, you know, for almost a decade with transfers and stuff like that. So I, I'm glad I got to bring in a college basketball reference on our podcast. But but yeah, it, it's just a little little chaotic. Um, we you know once this once the season's over with, um, we will definitely dive into who's going where and who went where. And I definitely have something to say about Dylan Gabriel doing the old switcheroo. Um, but we can talk more about we can talk more about that after um, after the national championship. So. Um, anything else you want to add, Spencer, before we move on? Well, Caleb Williams is the other big name that's uh, jumped into yep. the transfer portal. I guess Mario Williams, is that right, too? The, another Oklahoma player that's, five that's star jumped wide in receiver. there as well. Yep. Yeah, five-star uh, five star wide receiver. He was a freshman this year. Kid is a dude. Um, and He's uh, from the state of Florida. So from the state of Florida. Believe Billy guess, Napier who his, and, uh, guess who his number two team was when he was being recruited? I guess if you know it and you're asking it that way, then it would be the uh, school that resides in Athens, Georgia. Very much so. He was committed to Oklahoma originally because of Brock Vandegrift being committed to Oklahoma. And um, then when Brock Vandegrift decommitted and decided to stay in Georgia and stay in Athens because Georgia is like 10 minutes from his home. He um, played at like Athens Athens Christian Academy or something like that in high school. Yes. And um, – he decided Mario Williams decided to say was able to say because you know what's his name Lincoln Riley was able to able to talk him into saying so uh, look I, I I'm not saying he he's going to go to Georgia I'm just saying there's a reason why you never hear Kirby talk bad about players who transfer who or who do not sign with him and it's because he believes in never ever burning bridges and if the quarterback that he wanted to play with originally is at Georgia and the coach who didn't burn a bridge with him is at Georgia just don't be surprised. If you well, wasn't 
Go ahead. Wasn't uh, Georgia high on the list for Caleb Williams too in recruiting? Uh, well, actually, yes. For a portion. The the originally um, Caleb Williams was going to commit and go to Georgia um, because Oklahoma had Brock Vandergriff, but then Brock oh. Brock decommitted and then committed to Georgia. So Caleb Williams decided to go to um, to Oklahoma. There's a lot of people who are suggesting that Caleb Williams is going to go to to Georgia as well. I, I'm not big on that. I just I tweeted, you know, hey, keep an eye on that. But I meant that more in jest. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But, it, you know, Caleb Williams' dad came out today and said there's been no decisions made. So anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Well, let's jump into these games that happened um, on New Year's Day before we time travel back the day before and cover those games. Um, Oklahoma State-Notre Dame. Notre Dame is currently 0-8 in BCS or New New Year's Day post games. That's including playoff. They are 0-8. They've got two bowl games, but they they weren't BCS bowl games or New Year's six games. Um, They had a, what was it? What was the lead? It was like 28-7. They were up 28-17 at half and then allowed... Oklahoma State to score 25 straight points before they scored one last touchdown and tried to get an onside kick to try to drive down and score. Jack Cohn, I think, broke his own record for 509 yards and five touchdowns. This was probably not the way that um, Freeman wanted to start his legacy at at Notre Dame, but yeah, pr- probably not. But I, pro- I probably not. I just Oklahoma State made it impossible for Notre Dame to run the ball especially in the second half. Notre Dame wasn't given the opportunity to to burn clock and and take away th- you know you know what I'm saying like they weren't they weren't given the opportunity to do that. So kudos to Oklahoma State and the mullet. Um, what a really good year. Well, and kudos too. I mean, Notre Dame held they tied it at 28 and then Notre Dame held them to three straight field goals but then offensively couldn't couldn't figure it out. So, I mean, the at that point, your offense is or your defense is starting to get stops and they're starting to give you a chance to sort of regain control of the ball game. And you're not able to do that. I, I wasn't able to see all of the game. I was on a I was on a bus from Huntsville to, to Livingston, Alabama. Uh, but yeah, um, a, a crazy game for uh, for for head coach um, Marcus Freeman. But what a performance for Oklahoma State! What a performance just overall for the Big Twelve right now, with um, with a lot of these playoff games and playoff performances and future Big Twelve uh, additions as well. They're they're they are sitting as pretty right now as you could be with your two big money makers on the way out the door. Oklahoma State, Baylor, Houston won, UCF won. Uh, Cincinnati had a very admirable performance against Alabama in in certain ways. Um, BYU had an, a good regular season, so kudos to the Big Twelve and 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 from an overall standpoint, and uh, give Oklahoma State a ton of credit coming back from a twenty eight seven down with about a minute sixteen left in the second quarter. They tied it up right at the end of the of the half and were down twenty eight fourteen at halftime. Well. Here's here's a here's a formula for losing a game. Letting Jack Cohn throw the ball 68 times. And that 68 attempts makes his 500 yards not look re, you know super impressive. 
oh, yeah. from a yards per attempt standpoint. I could hear Bud Elliott right now sort of saying, man, that's 68 attempts and 500 yards. That's you throwing it 68 times. You need to be much closer to 600 yards passing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the 500 yards sort of obviously the five touchdowns is good, but the 500 yards starts to make it look like the offense became limited at at some point. No, I, I completely agree. Well, um, the, the the next game, which was may have been the best game of, of the day. We'll, we'll get, I want to cover that game last. Uh, Ole Miss Baylor. This game was hideous. Matt Creel got for, hurt in the first quarter. Mm. Ole Miss had zero offense. Um, Altmeyer did did a couple of things that I you know. I was did having. you get my text message by the way during the ball game? Um, my, you saw, might not have, but I, I, I saw like, it after I think because I went right to bed when that game was over with. I was I was mind numbed, if that's even a phrase. At, it's not, but you can do what you want. It's your podcast. There you go. So it, I found it mind numbing. There we go. Everybody on the grammar train back on track. Um, I found it mind numbing that there was a series in the second half with Luke Altmeyer, who's making some throws here and there on third and long is in third and long because they continue to try to run the ball to the outside where Baylor is clearly having the advantage and stopping you for a loss or a very short gain. And so you continue to put your freshman quarterback who is, is, I mean, he's showing up, he's making some plays for you, yet you keep putting him in a third and 12, a third and 11, third and nine type situation. And it just felt like, Lane Kiffin, where are you at here? The and obviously he knows more than I do. Him and Jeff Levy combined, but it just it didn't seem to make sense. A lot of the outside runs on first and second down, and then putting Luke Altmeyer in a position to make some sort of crazy play, and he did a couple of times. But of course, that's going to run out. He's a freshman, and that's a really good Baylor team. Yeah, um, yeah. Give Baylor, give Baylor all the credit, right? Um, and so. Like they were awesome, but man, Oklahoma did not did not really help. Did, did, I mean, didn't really help themselves, right? Like uh, Ole Miss, I'm sorry, Ole Miss just did not help themselves at all. And to your point, they couldn't run the ball, which is what they've done most of the year. They really just did not help their freshman quarterback, as you alluded to. I, I was just overall like, this is kind of one of those games where I understand Matt Corral is special. But it kind of seemed like Lane Kiffin got outcoached. Like, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, because Luke, I mean, Matt Corral goes down early. You're this is not a super special Baylor offense. It was seven to nothing uh at halftime. You tie it up at seven apiece, and then Baylor is uh, you know, it takes them a little while to answer. They answer right at the beginning or a 11-14 left in the fourth quarter, they answer. So, I mean, you're tied at seven apiece. Your defense is giving you chances. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly, you know, goes right in hand with with what I'm talking about with the with the outside runs on first and second down and not really giving Luke Altmeyer a better chance to succeed. And that's really a weird thing coming from, from Lane Kiffin, who you figure would have an idea of, you know, of what to do with um, you know, a secondary game plan, if you will, with with Luke Altmeyer. And that's easy for me to say on the outside looking in. But yeah, it, it def- de- definitely didn't seem like they had 
all the help in the world for for Luke Altmaier from an offensive standpoint. And nothing like nothing about that game was just impressive. Nothing at all. Altmaier just- ended up uh, 15 of 29, 174 yards, one touchdown, and he was sacked seven times as well. That doesn't help either. Yeah. They sacked Matt Corral three times, so 10 total sacks on the day for um, – uh, for Baylor, so give them yeah. a ton of credit. Their uh, their running game was their offense for the most part, or for all of the part two seventy nine, uh, but just the one touchdown on the ground. So again, you had you had moments from Baylor that you know, despite those numbers, they were getting stops and keeping the scoring low. Yeah, just it was it was very weird performance from Ole Miss offensively, even considering Matt Corral being out. Yeah, they're. I'm gonna tell you, man. Just talking about next year, just really quickly. I'm not going to pick Baylor to win an, win another 12 games like this or probably maybe even win another 11, 10 or 11 games if they don't fix their freaking offense because their defense definitely played lights out with, like you said, 10 sacks. Their offense couldn't produce anything. Um, yeah, they, they scored uh, 21 points and seven of those on a, a 96-yard interception return there in the second quarter. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't score their first offensive touchdown until the fourth until, quarter. Yeah, four, fourth quarter, so, yeah. Okay, next game. Uh, this game might have been uglier, but just scored more points, and that is Iowa versus Kentucky. Yeah, uh, by the way, we both picked Ole Miss, and we both picked – or no, you took Kentucky, I took uh, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And we both had Notre Dame as well, so. Yeah, I just – I don't have a lot to say about this game. Kentucky, 10-3, and three, great season, awesome. You just were not impressive at all in this game. You won, hey. Good on you, but just Will Levis is just not the dude, man. Or maybe he will be next year, but he just was not this year at all. Yeah, I, di- I didn't get a, a lot of eyes on on this one, other than some of the some of the highlights of this one. Uh, Iowa had a chance right at the end of the game, and then gave it away uh, to Kentucky. So I mean, give them give them credit for taking taking care of the or uh, taking advantage of the opportunities, but. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of eyes on this one. It was just ugly. Will Levis, I like all, all the credit, all the credit in the world to uh, Rodriguez and Robinson for Kentucky for kind of just like bearing the weight. But you know, we said when Iowa didn't have their running back, like it was going to be ugly, and boy, was it ugly. But you know, it, it, this was not a oh man, but their defense played really good. No, like they just played both te- both offenses just played incredibly sloppy. Uh, next game, the Fighting Sam Pittman's. Win their bowl game 24 to 10 against a Penn State team that has just for two years now underachieved, underachieved, underachieved. How much of that is Sam Clifford, Sean Clifford? 14 of 32, 195 yards, two interceptions, 47 yards on the ground, 4.3 yards of carry. One of his completions went for 42 yards. I mean, I think it is. I think it is him. Like I've been saying, well, you and I have been saying this for two years now. Like we we tried to earlier in the season, we tried to we try to figure out ways to to justify Penn State because they had you know Noah Kane and they had a really good defense, and, you know, and obviously they had Dotson at wide receiver. But the reality is that Sean Clifford is a liability. Um, he'll make some plays. He won't win you games, but he'll he will cost you games. That's just that's just the way it is. And he's returning for his like seventeenth year next year. So um, another team. That yeah, they just, they need another answer. They do. And and look, that they have an incredible quarterback coming in. And of course, I'm not remember his name right now, but 
they'll have they'll have someone competing against Clifford. I just hope that Franklin will make the choice. Um, Spencer, let's talk about possibly the best bowl game of the entire the entire thing, and that is Utah versus Ohio State with Ohio State winning on a last 11 second field goal with you know to end the game 48-45. Man, Utah, did you get eyes on this game before I break it down? I did get a I did get a little bit of eyes. We were we were at practice with the with the women's team, but I did have it up on my phone and uh, and was able to kind of keep keep an eye on it, but um yeah, wild wild and crazy back and forth. Well, the first quarter first quarter first quarter and a half wasn't um, Utah just came out here and punched Ohio State in the face, like hard. And Rising was dealing in the first, you know, like that first quarter and a half. And then I just remember pull the box score really quickly, just so I get the names right of who who did what. Oh, of course, this is going to be stupid. Okay, you got the you got the first you got the first two touchdowns by Utah. You know, uh, Oklahoma starts the second half with or second quarter with the ball. Marvin Harrison Jr. gets a nice 25-yard touchdown pass, but then Utah just answers right back. Uh, Jackson Jigba, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who may be the best wide receiver in that room, which is scary to say. He has a 50-yard touchdown pass, then Utah scores, then Ohio State scores another 52-yard touchdown pass to Jigba. But then Utah— That one was the catch and run. Yes. That second one. Was yep. a was a catch over the middle, and then he just outran everybody. everybody. And there was maybe a little bit of bobbing and weaving, but I mean, just just then, an incredible catch and run. But then Utah had a sixty-two yard run by Cameron Rising. Yeah, an an improbable touchdown run from him, where he he somehow or another gets out of gets out of that crowd, and then miraculously, it was sort of like you know how the big pile up in a NASCAR race goes, and then somebody comes from the back. And sort of just spins around it and races off to the to the finish line, right? I mean, he just escaped yeah. the ten car pileup and was able to get down the the field and, and score that touchdown. And and then like so it, it was so U, Utah had a handle. Um, you had that fourteen point lead at halftime. A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, texted me at halftime and said like This game's crazy." I was like, "You're dang right, it's crazy." But you know what's even crazier? I think Ohio State's going to win this game. And because here, here was my logic, even though they were coming off, Utah had that you know long run that was a fluke kind of, and they had the kick return. I didn't think Utah could continue a shootout for for two more quarters, but I definitely thought Utah could. I'm sorry, Ohio I definitely, I definitely thought Ohio State could, and and, the, and the, that's kind of exactly what ended up happening. Um, now you and I picked Utah to win this game because we thought they'd be more motivated. We thought Ohio State. You know, not having their two best wide receivers was going to matter, but boy, it did not matter. Um, Jigba breaks a record, um, a, a receiving record with 347 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, CJ Stroud throws for 573 and six touchdowns. This Ohio State team, if while bringing over the DC from Oklahoma State, if they're able to fix their defensive woes next year, man, like they may be my early 2022 pick for the national title. Yeah, because CJ Stroud's well, a freshman, right? And then what else is scary is while Jackson Smith and Jigba went for three forty-seven, there was the emergence of of Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, and yep. his six catches, seventy-one yards, and three touchdowns. And then there was you know other big plays made throughout the rest of the team. Trayvon Henderson had the had a thirty-six yard reception. There was a twenty-one yard reception as well, and the ground game was pretty good uh, for one hundred and ten yards. 
when they did go to it, the 20 times that they did go to it. So, yeah, this team could be uh, just as stacked next go-around. And, uh, yeah, you're right. If the defense is improved, then um, they may be ready to make a run. Me being optimistic that um, the D.C. for Oklahoma State, and who I can't freaking remember his name right now, it's a really easy name, and I can't remember. Jim Knowles. Thank you, Jim Knowles. If I'm going to be optimistic, like I, I probably will, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun this off season with with some picks and stuff like that. Preview, you know, early previews for this for the upcoming season. Like I really do think that this could be it for them, this Oklahoma, this Ohio State team. But that's if if, and then we'll say this, and then we'll jump to the playoff games. That's if Ryan Day is their head coach, because there's some dude. I don't know if you're noticing there's there's some coaches, position coaches leaving leaving Ohio State. Over the last uh, since that game, and there's rumor that Hartline, Brian Hartline, is going to leave Ohio State as well. And if that's the case, I think that's because I think Ryan Day is about to leave, go to the NFL. But Do we know that he has NFL aspirations? There's a lot. There's a lot of people who have the observation that he does. If they're having to replace a, a coach now, obviously it's Ohio State, so they'll have their pick of the litter. But they'll have their pick of the litter of what's left, I should say. But um, yeah, I mean. If Ryan Day's leaving and they have to bring in somebody else to sort of reset, yeah, that that'll oh. be interesting to a storyline to follow along with for sure. So Spencer, let's let's dive into let's dive into the Cincinnati Alabama game. I I don't know if there's a ton to take away from this game other than it played out like it, it's like you and I were prophets of exactly what we thought was going to happen happened. Cincinnati's defensive backs were going to force force Young not to be able to air it out deep and get into a rhythm that, but that just opened the gates for Brian Robinson to run for 204 yards. And you know, since they played their butts off, I give them all the credit in the world. They, you know, I don't want to hear they didn't deserve to be there. Well, there's been like of all the, what is it of the 18 games that have happened since the playoff was created, like 15 of the semifinals have been blowouts. So don't tell me Cincinnati didn't belong there. They did, but they, the two things that stood out to me was Alabama's defense shutting down Cincinnati to an embarrassing margin, 75 yards in the first half, and the injuries that Alabama's offensive line and defensive backs racked up. Those are the two things that I walked away from. Yeah, and um, Alabama had uh, 18 rushes in that first half to just – or that first quarter, I'm sorry, to just five pass attempts. So Alabama had a – had a vested interest early on that, you know what, we're not even going to mess around with the defensive backs that we know are NFL caliber guys. We're not necessarily going to, we're going to establish ourselves old school Alabama, like 18 rushes in, just in the first quarter, 11 of those to, uh, to Robinson. And then you jump to uh, the second quarter as well. And that's where they started to throw the ball a little bit more, 15 pass attempts, seven rushes, a rushing attempts. So you're still, Close to, um, I mean, you're still upwards of, of 25. I guess that is 25 attempts rushing the football in the first half to just 18 pass attempts. But yeah, as soon as Alabama started throwing the football, that's when Cincinnati was able to kind of keep it. I think keep things a little closer. They were they were able to get a little more pressure than maybe you thought uh, that we thought that they would be able to do. That we thought was going to be key, but we weren't sure if they'd be able to do it. But they got some pressure. They played better in the secondary. And it kind of kept Alabama from being able to pull away. I, I wonder what would have happened if Alabama would have stuck to the ground game in that second quarter if they would have pulled away quicker. No, that's that's a really good point. Like Cincinnati, Cincinnati was able to meet them, you know, speed for speed on the outside. But like we talked about up front, 
was the was the game changer. And the guys from College Football Nerds, you know, they used the phrase, you know, Bryce Young got the yips again. And, you know, when it came to the passing aspect, and, and I would I would agree with that to to a certain degree. Cincinnati had speed on the outsides as, as far as their pass rush, which did give Alabama a few fits. Georgia, Georgia doesn't have that speed rusher um, the way Cincinnati does. And so that was probably one of the biggest differences that I noticed was like they were able actually able to get pressure on on uh, Bryce Young and they got a couple sacks on him and forced him. And, you know, they didn't force him to a mistake, but they, you know, that was costly. But they definitely forced him to make some errors in that game. Anything else you want to add before we move on to the? Yeah, to I'm, I'm just okay. doing some quick, uh, some quick math that I wanted to, to look at in that You're second taking quarter. A quick math? No, look at some <laughs> math. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so, Bryce Young was nine of fifteen for ninety-four yards in that second quarter. He threw a 44-yard touchdown pass. So outside of the 44-yard touchdown pass, which is obviously a part of the game, but outside of that, he was 50 yards on 14 attempts at that point and uh, eight completions. That's as good as you can do against this passing offense. That's probably excelling a lot more than anybody would have thought you would have excelled. Um, it's the 44-yard touchdown pass that bites you in the butt, and and it's obviously the the thing that makes throwing the football down the field so very important. It separate because they're able to hit that play. It separates them that much more from Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati played with them on every other passing attempt and virtually won every other passing attempt from an explosive standpoint, at least because they gave up that one. Because Alabama was able to just find that one, you know, it it, it creates a, a what a seventeen to nothing advantage and puts pr- pretty much puts Alabama in the driver's seat uh, at a, at halftime. Yeah, I guess it's no. only though that's the only touchdown. I'm sorry, that's a ten to nothing lead there. If I if I have that correct, or was it seventeen to nothing? Either way, it was, it was seventeen to three at half. Okay, so yeah, I think I think I have that right then. The but way it's just saying only had seventy five yards of total offense. Yeah, there it is. So, so yeah, and um, you know, I I think them not having John Mechie definitely hurt them, um, as far as passing the ball. But then what happened was is that Cincinnati was unable to expose that because because Robinson had the the game of his career, you know. Yeah, even um, in that second quarter, he had what five five carries for fifty four yards. So I yeah. mean, he was he just he he couldn't be stopped at all. Yeah, um, and he looked so healthy. He he looked healthy, <laughs> um, unlike he had the last two or three games of the of the regular season. Um, all right, Georgia Michigan. Stetson Bennett answered questions. The defense was not afraid, or they weren't even they weren't even worried about the Joe Moore winning offensive line of Michigan. The depth at running back that Georgia had, I think, came in handy as well. For the most part, I think. Uh, Georgia got lucky really on one drive. The rest of the game, I think, was just Georgia dominating. And what I mean mean by Michigan got lucky on one drive? No, no, I think, no, no. That that touchdown drive by Michigan at the end of the game, I think, was because we had our our third string in. I think Georgia got lucky on one drive defensively when when McNamara missed the tight end who was wide open on fourth and four on their first drive. Yeah, and I wanted to go back and rewatch drive. Yeah, because I heard somebody else talking about this, and I wanted to go back and rewatch because I just can't picture that. I I can't see that play in my head that he missed, and I know I was watching it at that point. It was obviously their first drive, 
but um, I'm just having a hard time picturing that play uh, in my head. But um, because – go ahead. I just I notice that I'm saying – I'm not saying they won because of that drive. I'm just saying one drive I, – I, Georgia did get lucky on one drive. However, the rest of that game you know, was, was just dominating. Was well, yeah, Georgia's- I mean you, you have a – you have a chance to make it, uh, you know, I guess to tie the ball game or at least keep the drive alive to give yourself a chance uh, to tie the ball game at that point. And yeah, and now it's not tied. And I'm guessing Georgia goes down. Yeah, they score on their second possession. So it's 14 to nothing. And you missed a fourth down wide open play. Yeah, I mean, that that's a big swing. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the argument, you know, that people make with the whole sets and thing and gets Bama, you know, sets have been had a lead against Bama twice now. And the defense couldn't couldn't do it, like didn't help him. The same thing kind of happened here, but you know it it, it wasn't. Or I'm, I'm sorry, it it wasn't that here. It was neither offense nor defense could stop Georgia. Uh, Georgia was averaging like I think almost six yards a carry, especially uh, well early on in the first half they were averaging I think like eight yards a carry. And have a have a day, James Cook. You know, have a day. He was. He was un- unstoppable in the passing game. He had some, you know, he had a couple of big runs uh, uh, running the ball. Samir White was just was just strong. Dejon Edwards, you know, he came in at the end of the game, so I'm not going to really count that. Um, but Stetson Bennett and James Cook and and uh, McIntosh, you know, it, like there's just so much depth that Georgia has running the ball, where it just it did just wear them. It weared Michigan down. Um, where I wish I could see the the half breakdown. I want to see how many how many passes Stetson Bennett threw in the first half. I'm calculating that as we speak. Okay, well, whenever you calculate that, please throw that at me because I don't I think it was a lot. They they ran the ball and anaconded them in the second half. Old school Bama wise. Go ahead. Well, so this is funny because don't tell me he I, threw more in the first second half. Listen here. So <laughs> here's what I noticed about this ball game at, and I don't remember when it was, maybe it was the third quarter, maybe it was sometime in the second quarter, but it felt like hot potato offense. Snap the ball. It's going to be a throw, but Stetson's going to throw screen, throw right to the sideline. I think I counted at one point of his 21 or his 31 attempts total of the game. He had like six of them, six or seven of them that were down the field passes. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can you can remember all six of them. They're not hard to remember. Everything else was a screen pass, a swing pass, or something right to the a line slant. of scrimmage. Yeah. yeah. No, not even a slant. Just something right to well, because I knew the line I knew, of scrimmage. I know he had two. I know he had two slants. One to Ad Mitchell and one to uh, George Pickens. And that's just off the top of my head. Right. And those again are are forward down the field passes. So yeah, I think that brings me with those two plays. Or no, the one to Ad Mitchell brings me to seven forward passes the touchdown to Brock Bowers is a throw right to the line of scrimmage everything else is a screen pass Rob he had uh in that first half he had a 14 plus eight he had 22 pass attempts in the first half and you don't think of it because they were all screen passes short I mean hot potato offense sideline to sideline get the ball into the hands of the best players and let them go some of them were receptions to um Kenny McIntosh and some of them were receptions to you know a lot of other running backs in sort of screen situation type deals and so yeah I mean it was hot potato offense from uh, from my standpoint 22 pass attempts and it didn't feel like he was doing anything spectacular he just was executing the offense the timing of those screen passes and getting the ball to the playmakers and also he had wide receivers downfield open that he was able to throw to 
And I think this is probably one of the first games that our wide receivers looked like high-level wide receivers, especially Jermaine Burton. You know, we we knew James Cook. James Cook's done that play a couple a couple of times, but A.D. Mitchell, you know, had the had the really good um, third down catch in the in the first quarter, but then also just the the trick play, you know, good play there too. Um, this this was able to be accomplished because of the running game um, and the offensive line continuing their run, which I said they've played been playing great since the Georgia Tech game. And they continue to play great, and especially the interior line. Erickson is not the player he was two months ago, the the right guard. He is not the same player. And I don't know what's happened. I don't know if they've changed jerseys and Tate Ratledge is actually healthy and they're letting him play uh, in the in the disguise of, of, of Erickson. But he has played great. And McClendon and um, Sawyer have played great on the outsides. But again, Stetson Bennett played great. He really did. And... He put passes like one, like the, like he had two quote unquote bad passes. One, he was getting, he was getting, he was getting hit as he threw the ball to Bowers on the first deep long pass. And the second one was in the, in the third quarter, I think the opening drive where there was the first punt for Georgia all game. And he tried to do his, he tried to do, hey, I can see, look what I can do. You know, he tried to pull one of those, and it it could have been really bad, but it didn't it didn't hurt him. And that's that's something that I, I realized as well in this game uh, that sets of, it's not sets of Bennett's arm that's a problem. It's sets of Bennett's decision making at times that's a problem. Um, uh, I, I I really don't have anything positive to say for Michigan. They just I I think this is one of those situations where they lost the game getting off the bus, and that what Bud Elliott talks about. You get off the bus seeing seeing Georgia and you're just kind of you're a little bit intimidated. And I think that just kind of happened. Yeah, I think Georgia executed their offense just the way that they wanted to. And mm-hmm. then they executed their defense just the way they wanted to. Um, the guys on that side of the ball um, were as dialed in as they could have been. There was obviously the one Michigan was doing a lot of things that Georgia was trying. Georgia was executing and Michigan's defense just couldn't keep up with it. And Michigan threw several screens to running backs and different things trying to get them involved. And there's that one play where uh, N'Kobe Dean is playing on, if you're, if you're Michigan's offense, he's playing on the far left side of the field, and then he travels all the way across the field to the right side with, I think it's Corum, the running back, and he just he tracks it down the entire oh. way. And they're talking about that's the matchup you want. If you're Michigan, that's the matchup you want, but not when it's Nicobe Dean. And he was just mm-hmm. a madman all night long. He, he was calling out plays. He was yep. making plays physically. He was that was my favorite play of the game. That was my favorite play of the game. That which we just talked about. The following him in motion and hunting down that play. And then there's another play the where yes, the sack where he he calls it. There was a couple of times where he was he was doing his arm that way where he's calling it because I watched him do it a, before. And then he's doing it there, and then it, it comes through. It's like he was reading it the first time and saw it and maybe didn't get it quite the first time physically, like, you know, making the play or whatever. But then he saw it the second time, and it, it, when he went, when they went back to it or when he saw that thing again, he knew exactly what to do with it, and he, and he got in there to get, the, uh, uh, to get the sack. Bold claim here. I don't think he's better in coverage because he's just not. But I think he's a better inside linebacker in a lot of ways than Rokon was. 
He's just not he's just not the coverage linebacker that Roquan was. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's something that Alabama will will try to take advantage of because they're they're going to put Bolden on him. They're, they're gonna they're they're gonna get they're gonna try to get him on on Bolden or get him on Channing Tindall. You're right. Yeah, and so they're going to throw the ball more vertically. I don't think they're going to try to do the sideline to sideline stuff because I think I want to go back and see the Cincinnati game as well because I feel like the stuff that I was able to watch of that game, there were there were throws down the field that their pressure kept him from being able to make. They Alabama dropped back to throw, and then the pressure got there, rolled him out, and he was trying to throw vertically down the field, and he skipped it, or he overthrew it, or he was just off the mark, whatever it was. The pressure was real, and there's stats from the SEC championship game that when Georgia got pressure, he, he wasn't – he wasn't the same quarterback, so um, I yes. imagine that's going to be the case as well uh, in this go-around, that Georgia will do a lot more with pressure, and if they can get him off his mark, which they'll want to, um, they'll have, uh, I, think they'll, I think they'll be able to have the success that they want to have, but it's not going to be, I don't think we're going to see N'Kobe Dean running sideline to sideline quite the same way he did against Michigan. No. No, I don't, I don't think so either. Um, Unless he's chasing down uh, Robinson. Yeah, I. But I also want to. I want to reiterate one thing. I think this game plan is exactly the thing that I was talking about last week or two weeks ago, however long ago. That this is the game plan you have to have and you have to execute at a high level if Georgia's going to beat Alabama. If I don't think Stetson Bennett's going to be the guy to throw the ball vertically all game long. Of his thirty-one attempts, of the twenty-one completions, six to seven of them. We're down the field. That's not going to work if there is a similar game, just like it played out in the SEC championship game. That's not going to work if there is successful throwing the ball down the field by Alabama and you get into a little bit of a track meet. That's not going to that's not going to work. Now, we obviously think there won't be a track meet because of the injuries and because of the way Georgia's defense seems to be locked in. That was a similar thought going into the SEC championship game, though. But I think this is where Georgia has to be or where they would love, love, love to be to win this national championship is keep Stetson Bennett in comfortable situations where he is throwing sideline to sideline to playmakers, get the ball to them as quickly as possible, and don't make Stetson Bennett have to make those decisions that you talked about. Well, okay, let's get into this game. All right, since you already you already jumped that in, let's let's go ahead and get into it. That's what we're here for. I know. I, I want to just put. I want to put something to rest that I, I've really wrestled with, but I, I think I think it's just time to kind of squash this, like this theory. Have you heard this random, this weird theory, by the way? That I don't. I don't know. You haven't. You haven't uh, mentioned it yet. That Georgia obviously was playing to win, but was fine with losing because of they knew they were going to play them again, but also because they had the like. The SEC was going to get more money by having two teams in the playoff. Georgia Maybe. threw the SEC championship game. I won't say throw it through, but it. that's the theory. Yes, in the way. other people are saying that Georgia threw the SEC championship game. Yeah, and and you know what? Like, I'm not gonna lie with the with the right kind of mood that I'm in and the right kind of arguments being thrown my way. I I I, I could I could uh, what's the word? Entertain that. I have entertained it. However, I don't think that for a second any longer. Because Georgia had a 10 nothing lead, man. Well, and I just don't Georgia. think there's any coach in their right mind that's going to go into a, a competition. These are the most competitive people in the world. They're yeah. not going to go into a competition and say, 
let's phone it in, guys, because we know we're going to get enough. No, we have Alabama. We have a chance to eliminate Alabama from the picture altogether with a second loss. No. There's absolutely zero chance that anybody at the University of Georgia said, hey, let's throw the game and play them a second time. We want to leave Alabama. Haven't I already done this? There's a podcast, one of our episodes where I've already done this about Alabama and opportunities. If we have a chance to knock them out of the whole thing and never see them again for the season, we're taking that chance. We're not going to play to play Alabama again. Yeah. What? And and so, like – and, and I, I will like just to play devil's advocate, like it Kirby was not his normal animated self on the sideline during the game. Our defensive line just did not play itself that, you know, we've already talked about it. Nauseam, the the defensive strategy that we had just didn't really make a lot of sense. You know, there's just some things in the air, right, that just seem off. And, yeah, and you I can just, connect the dots. And, and, I, and, and, and yeah, so I want to give credence to like, hey, this isn't like. If you're just looking at the, if you're just looking at exhibit A, B, whatever, C, you you can say, hey, you know what, that that doesn't sound too crazy. But then you put it in the context of Kirby Smart, probably the most competitive human being ever, and you put it at what this would have meant for the program itself. I just don't think he would have. No, now, I think yes, I think if you put your tinfoil hat on and you want to go to Hollywood and let's create a script, then yes, you can go with with those things. But then yeah. when you come back to reality. And everything you just said and the idea of eliminating Alabama altogether, no, there's not even a sniff of that actually being something that – a Hollywood script? Yes, fine. Yeah. Actual world, real-world living? No. Kirby Smart, well, the whole thing is not set up that way. Speaking you, of competitors script, don't think that way. Speaking of Hollywood script, you, you and I you, – you agree that if, if Georgia were to win the national title, there's going to be a movie out like six weeks later about Stetson Bennett winning the – when, as a walk-on, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. it's <laughs> yeah, Especially it, if he can make six, seven, eight throws down the field. If he can hit another 57-yarder to, to mm-hmm. Burton and a 53-yarder to to Cook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because the, the sideline-to-sideline stuff that I'm focused on will go out the window. You hit Brock Bowers down the field on the first play. You hit those 53-yard touchdown passes. And maybe you get the other 18-yard touchdown pass that went to McIntosh. And you throw three touchdown passes, and they're all vertical plays. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stetson yeah. Bennett will be this. He's already the stuff of Georgia legends in a lot of ways, and should yeah. be because he's been great. But the the limitations that I've complained about, and that others have complained about, will go out the window. He will have done it for one night, and that's all that matters. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and what also, also like, you just said it. Like Stetson Bennett has been amazing. Like. Setson Bennett is a like so. I had a buddy, I, you know, I tweeted out the joke that you know be on the lookout for Kayla Williams possibly transfer to Georgia. You know, and my one of my buddies, he's an Oregon fan, said, you know, why would a why would an elite quarterback come to Georgia? Because Georgia's playing the national title with a two star walk on. That's why. Well, yeah, like, and like so the the, the 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 JT Daniels thing because it's not negative and there's not huge animosity. This isn't a negative. Yeah. Like, what, and, and then, two, you have – and I know this is before Kirby Smart, but Matthew Stafford was a pretty high, highly ranked quarterback. Jake Fromm was – yep, Jake Fromm was a, a five-star quarterback. Justin Four Fields three. was a five-star quarterback. Mm-hmm. Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton, Jacob Eason, like that's, those are six guys right there that while maybe all of those guys didn't pan out the way that we wanted to, two of them haven't played yet, maybe they didn't pan out the way that we've wanted to, but – Nothing's really stopped these guys from going. Obviously, uh, Matthew Stafford's having a, a an excellent NFL career, and he went number one overall. 
So, yeah, I mean, quarterbacks are going to come to the University of Georgia because there's a path to the NFL, and whatever woes have not stopped guys from continuing to come. The Justin Fields stuff has not stopped Gunnar Stockton and Brock Grander, Vandergriff and JT Daniels as well from coming to the University of Georgia. Yeah, agreed. We can, and put, that, we can put that to bed. Play, players players want to play in the NFL. They want to play for a guy like Kirby. They don't think like the general public. So when the general public starts saying, I don't think quarter, those quarterbacks want to do that, you, you, not, you don't play in the same level of what those guys are – and not level. You're just not in the same space as those guys when it comes to thinking about where to go to school and who to play for. You just not. Sorry, get, yeah. you know, get your ticket and go go to some other line because you, you're not in this. You're not in that space. Yeah, and and Kirby's a wizard when it comes to recruiting, you know. And also, from what I've been, you know, we we should have known this already, and we probably some people probably did. Todd Munkin's an incredible recruiter as well, and what Todd Munkin has been able to do this year with all the injuries and the at times physically limited quarterback in, in you know in certain spots or I'm sorry in one spot the Bama game he has been incredible and had an had a, a top 10 offense so um all right Spencer uh, okay so we put that narrative rest I, I I really don't know where to start because I feel I don't want to repeat myself from what we already covered because I think we already did this <laughs> I feel well, like we did this just like Two games ago. <laughs> yeah, while while the theory is dumb, there is there are certain principles that still apply of why people are go to that theory because, yes, it's difficult to beat the same team twice in one year at the Division two level for basketball and softball and baseball. Difficult, but— we, Yeah, we but, experience it all the time, but it however, can happen. How, however, I don't know if you knew this stat because the way you're talking, so I just wanted to put this out there. It, like it is, I guess it is difficult. However, sixty percent of the time, the team that won the first time wins again. Yeah, that and and I've been wondering because I, I wanted to make make it clear that I was mentioning at the Division Two level, this can sometimes be a, a you know a, a tricky thing, especially you know in a different sport like basketball and mm-hmm. softball, baseball, men and women's basketball. It can be a tricky thing. Um, but yeah, in football, I've wanted to look at that, and we played our VSU football team played West Alabama in the regular season and won that game. The first one, thirty-four to twenty-six, I think it was, or thirty-four, maybe it was thirty-four, thirty-one that we won the first game, and then in the second game, first round, second round of the playoffs, excuse me, second round of the playoffs, we won it sixty-six to twenty-six or something like that. So, yeah, second time around in football, it it might not be the, especially when the when the rosters may not match up quite the same, but these rosters match up quite the same. And I think that's where people are going. When you have even teams and they're seeing each other for the second time, maybe it favors that second group. But like you just said, it in, you know, in football, it doesn't. So who knows? So like, I just don't, I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that the offensive linemen for Bama and the DBs are going to play. If that's a truth and Robinson. These banked up players, you mean? Yeah, yes. And Do Robinson, we have names for these guys? I can't remember. The, one's Owens, and I can't remember the other the other offensive lineman's name. But if they're good to go, Robinson's good to go, and you know, Mechie being out is is a game changer. You know, or not game changer, but he 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 makes the game more difficult. 
you still have the dilemma of what happened last time where it wasn't necessarily Mechie and Williams. It was the fact that even, even with pressure, even, you know, they didn't bring a lot of pressure, but when they, even when they did bring pressure, I mean, Bryce Young still had, you know, he was two for eight for 47 yards, only two first downs and a touchdown when pressure was brought on him, you know, and that's on third down. I apologize. That's on, that's for third downs. You know, when they only rushed four, he was four for four for 100 yard, 104 yards and a touchdown and three first downs. Um, I'm, I'm just having a hard time, Spencer, being able to say to myself, man, Georgia can, it, Georgia is definitely going to win this game because of blank. Because anything that you say, I can counter with, yeah, but it's Nick Saban and Bryce Young. You sound like you sound like me now. It sounds like we've reversed roles. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go game. ahead and I'll go ahead and spoil. It. I'm I'm picking Bama to win. That's fine. I'm I'm picking Bama to win because I need I after after going into the SEC championship game and being so feeling like it wasn't vain. It wasn't. I, I don't think it was in vain. Being so confident of what of what Georgia was and them being ready for the moment. And the, you know, you know, just all that stuff. Like I was so confident that Georgia was going to, and could, you know, could, and was going to win that game. And for them to just crap the bed, I, and then, and then to turn around and whoop Michigan the way they did, like, yeah, Michigan's going to have a better, had a better O line than Alabama does. Like that's, that's without, that's without argument, but that still doesn't solve the Bryce Young problem. And the quick release, the, the, because that's what they did against Georgia in the SEC championship game, which got them off rhythm too. And which is a, probably another reason why they weren't able to bring as much pressure as they wanted to was because they weren't, they, they were going quick. They're going very, very fast and they were getting the ball out quick. They were trying to negate pressure with that. And, and so go ahead. You were about to ask me a question. Well, I think I've, I think the one thing that seems to be different this go around feels like it's the mindset, right? I guess there was the conversation after the SEC championship game about rat poison and that Georgia was just feeling themselves too much. And Georgia, you know, they, they came in and somebody, I think it maybe it might've been Paul Feinbaum, but somebody mentioned that they got arrogant on defense yeah, was, and they uh, thought that they could key, do something. Okay. They thought they could do certain things that they hadn't done all year and that those things would be fine because this team just is not – they smelt blood in the water that wasn't actually blood in the water. And I think the best thing going for Georgia now, or at least it feels like the best thing going for Georgia now, is their mindset. Um, so – because and I can feel like you can make the – you can be frustrated at the point of, well, if if that's all it took to screw your mindset up for Alabama that go around, then what's it going to take this week to screw your your mindset up? Because those conditions are setting up again right now. Mm-hmm. They're the Everything's, favorite. Yeah, you know, Bama is still in a very what looks like vulnerable position, and what's to say that doesn't, you know, you don't creep back into that again because you've already had a ton of struggles against this Alabama team. And you allowed yourself to slip into some brain fart for the game. Then what's stopping it from happening again now? But I, I think if there is one, 
that would be it that the loss this go around maybe refocuses the team as kind of lame as that sounds. And this time John Mechie's not there. Yes. You and, know, I and, think that's a big factor. Yeah, but, you know, and, and some people point to, you know, well, look at the second half of what George is able to do against, you know, without having John Mechie. Like, I, I, think, there, I think there is some validity to that, but I also think Bama had such a huge lead, they didn't really need to do much in the passing game. Right, and this you game know, will start off, you know, zero zero. Yes, a hundred percent. And so, like, obviously, that that theory that theory will definitely get tested early. Uh, look, I just I, I need Georgia to get over the mental hurdle before I can believe they can do it. Right. This is this is three. I've I've experienced this three times now. The national title, the national title game in seventeen, where I picked Georgia because I and I remember saying to you because you and I went and we went and watched the solid verbal. Uh, show it live. Do you remember that? I think you no, went and watched oh, that. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Yes, I went and saw that. Um, I so, went and saw the Solid Verbal live uh, game or show record in Atlanta, and I remember saying Georgia's going to win this game because why not? It's their time. Like this has been a team of destiny. Blah blah blah. <clears throat> we know what happened. And then in 2018, I picked us to win because I thought we had the better, more talented team and we had wide receivers who were no longer freshmen and had the gross taste of the loss in their mouth and they you know Jake Fromm you know was going to play well which he did play very well you know but we were going to win and we know how that game went then last year our defense was incredible we hadn't really we didn't really know what was going on with Georgia with with Alabama's defense I think I picked an upset I think I picked Georgia to win in an upset last year we saw what happened there then then a month ago, I picked Georgia to win because everything on paper, everything on the screen, everything, everything, everything told me that Georgia should win this game and would win this game, except for Bryce Young and Nick Saban. Those two things still stand. And they still have Williams and – oh, and of course I'm going to forget the kid's name. Um, they had a new – they had a different leading receiver. Um, Bama did against Cincinnati. I can't remember his name. Uh, Brooks, um, John Brooks. Um, you know he. Corey Brooks. Corey Brooks. Thank you. John Brooks is he's he's something. He is. Oh, he's a soccer player. Um, uh, Corey Brooks. You know, um, had four receptions for sixty-six yards and a touchdown. With Robinson healthy now, and and and, and also to, to to take it to the offensive side of the ball for Georgia, Alabama is number two in the country in rush defense. Like, I know people don't know this, but Georgia's actually three in rush defense by the end of the year. And and so Bama is going to stop the run. And if I and I just don't know still if our wide receivers can get separation on the outside. And I, I mean, we saw that against Michigan. Yeah, but Michigan doesn't but Michigan doesn't have like six foot six one speedsters at, at DB the way Alabama does. I'm wondering if some of what Georgia set up with a lot of their screen action will help with the ground game. If Alabama won't come out with, you know, maybe a more spread out um, defensive line and maybe those linebackers spread out a little bit more, that they're going to be in positions to stop that quick game out to the running backs or receivers and the tight end as well. We don't want to get beat with that again. So maybe they they set up to stop that. Nick Saban's a lot smarter than I am, but 
maybe they'll set up to stop that, and then that will allow Georgia some uh, some opportunities on the ground because they did have a few. They didn't have a ton, but they did have a few really good early runs against Michigan, but they really were, I mean, 22 pass attempts in the first half for Stetson Bennett. Most of that was the sideline-to-sideline stuff, but Georgia was still very committed to throwing the football, and maybe maybe that's where some of this will will switch up a little bit for uh, for well, Georgia. And, and and we already talked about this, but like in the in the SEC championship game, the offensive line for Georgia was getting was getting push. They they for the most part shut down Will Anderson. They were getting holes for the running backs, but because because of the, the tackling of the linebackers and the safeties for Alabama, Georgia's running backs couldn't do anything. They could they couldn't they couldn't break tackles and they couldn't you know make get the, get these runs to the second level. I, I'm just this is actually not has nothing to do with Stetson Bennett for me. I think Georgia can win this game against Stetson Bennett, but I just don't I don't know if our defense can do it. I don't know if there, our defense can shut down Alabama the way that our defense needs to to win this game. Now, like my fandom will not be questioned here by anyone. I will be cheering loud. I will be cheering hard. I will I will cry my eyes out whenever you know if Georgia were to win this game, but looking at the X's and O's, looking at the game itself, I I just need to see it before I can pick it. Um, because it's just, it's just really hard to be heartbroken again and like I can't pick Georgia to win again for the fifth time when I still have doubt. Or I'm sorry, when I am full of so much doubt like I am right now because their quarterback situation, like they, they have the Heisman Trophy quarterback, like he won the Heisman. He is he is probably going to be, he, like if he stays another year, like next year, he could possibly win the Heisman and win another title next year. This is like That's the other frustrating part here, and this is why I get angry at the fact that I'm picking Alabama to win this title. This is supposed to be a down year for Bama. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a down year this was supposed to be our year. This was supposed to be where our team was going to be the best. And I'm here to just say this. I, I, I'm saying this boldly and confidently. JT Daniels coming off the bench isn't going to save this game. JT Daniels is not mobile. JT Daniels forces the ball deep at times. And he'll throw an interception. He's not winning this game either. So and and that's why I'm saying I don't think this is on sets of Bennett. I don't think this is a quarterback issue on our part. I think this is going to be our inability to run and stay on rhythm, which is what we need to do, which is what we've had to do all year. And we need our defense to stop the Heisman quarterback and the greatest coach of all time. Now, Spencer, if you ask me, do I think we can win? Absolutely. Should we win? Yes. <laughs> but I just need to see it <laughs> before I believe it. Yeah, so I think do you I'm sure Georgia's gonna stand a better chance at stopping the run game against Brian Robinson better than mm-hmm. Cincinnati did. Yeah. So then what is the counter? How well do we balance the defense with the stopping the ground game? Because I feel as though they will try to go to the ground game again, see if they can't sort of wear it down, go to the ground game again, thinking, okay, 
we need to do the body blows here because, again, we don't have the throw game down the field. We don't have the receivers ready outside of Williamson. We don't have the receivers ready to just go berserk throwing the ball all the time. And so I think there's there's going to be an early key. How well does Georgia stop the ground game um, for Brian Robinson and then pressure Bryce Young? And obviously the SEC championship game, Georgia struggled getting pressure uh, with their four down linemen. But when they did bring pressure, things were better. John Mitchell mm-hmm. wasn't in the game as well. So yeah. after the game against Michigan, there's plenty of reason to believe Georgia will be able to to generate that pressure again uh, and keep Bryce Young off of his mark. And if that's the case, then I think that gives Georgia uh, an opportunity. I think the defense will be able to get those stops uh, that we're talking about. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, how, how well do we counter Alabama's what they do defensively? And, and, and also, just, I mean, just to point this out as well, like, this is Tuesday night. We like we could find out Saturday that that the two offensive linemen, the tackle Owens, and of course the other kid that I can't remember, and the two DBs who who got hurt against Cincinnati, we could find out they're going to be out. And and I like those those three to four players being out would they would change my position on this because. Because I know for a fact, because I watched, I watched the, I watched them play against LSU and A and M, or I'm sorry, uh, LSU and Auburn. I know those backup, the backup guard and tackle for Alabama are not very good, and that that we would eat, and that would cause that would cause a huge problem. But because I don't know that, I'm not banking on that. I'm going to bank on the fact they're going to play until I'm told otherwise. Um, we know Mechie's not playing, but. Right now, man, like it, it really just also, and I, I'm sure you agree with this. I, I just, there is a mental dragon to this as much as there is a football team in Alabama. There is, I don't know if it's Kirby, I don't know if it's the Georgia program. There is just a mental dragon that needs to be slayed, and I need it. To, I need to see it be slayed. No, yeah, I'm I'm in the same position that you're in. Uh, you know, getting frustrated. I'm in a similar position. Getting frustrated at watching Georgia be successful, wondering why why they can't play like that against Alabama. And I think that's the frustration of college football in general. It's some of the answer is because Alabama doesn't. Alabama's roster is not like Michigan's roster. Michigan's roster is good, but it's not Alabama good, and that's part of the reason. It's tough to win a national championship. It's tough to be really really good in this sport and Nick Saban has perfected it and you got to you got to you got to go up against the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be thank you Bret Hart so yeah i mean i'm i'm right there with you in terms of the mental hurdle i just think georgia has as good a chance this go around as they've ever had to win this ball game this that, matchup with yeah. with with, uh, with alabama and and that, and that's why I'm saying, like, I, I I do think they can, and I do think they should win. That like I I I know for a fact that Kirby has had the video of the SEC championship playing in the locker rooms, nonstop. And and I guarantee you that will fight any rat poison that you know any any columnist or anybody wants to say and create, you know, for for Georgia's program. 
Um, the the couple of things, and, and to paint more of a picture of, of how Georgia can win and, and, and the positive of this, because I do feel like I've been super negative. Kirby said something before the Michigan game, and I looked at my friend, Mike. Um, you remember Mike? Mike and his wife, Leslie, used to live in Valdosta? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, I was watching the game with him, and when Kirby Kirby said before the game, I've been trying to tell these guys all week, I just want you to cut loose, and I just want you to play with your ha- with your hair on fire. I looked at my friend. I was like, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game big because Kirby's never said that. Kirby Kirby knew that his team had been tight and had been had not been playing loose, definitely did not play loose against Bama. And I guarantee you that's a continuing message going into this week, that he wants them to cut loose and, and have fun and, and, and loosen up. And um, the other the other part of this is I don't know – I don't know if there's going to be a unit on the field that plays with more determination and wanting to prove everyone wrong more than the Georgia defense. Because no one got embarrassed more probably in the last month than Georgia's defense against Alabama with Bryce Young. They couldn't sack him. They couldn't get to him. They couldn't cover. Like, it it was, it was really bad. And go ahead. Well, I was just going to say – and and I'm and I'm kind of was reading some other stuff just now, seeing if there was any update. Nick Saban doesn't have any update on the on the injuries on the offensive line as of yesterday. Reading on uh, on, on Bama online there for two four seven, but um, I think how much of the SEC championship game was a Jimmy's and Joe's or an X's and O's? Because again, we we've, we've gone back. You've already mentioned it once. We talked about it a lot. Um, our buddy Graham Coffee has talked about it a lot as well. The X's and O's of that SEC championship game, from a defensive standpoint, were just bizarre. From what Georgia had put on film all season long. So if Georgia comes with the right game plan, the right X's and O's, then how well do the Jimmys and Joes line up at that point? If Georgia's playing the right uh, the right techniques or, or uh, the right coverages, the right X's and O's, then how does that, you know, how does that performance change here? Um, something you mentioned there kind of sparked that idea that if Georgia comes in here and plays, you know, like they've played, what, 13 of the 14 games this season or, or 12 of the 13 games this season, then then they I, I think they stand as good a chance as they ever have. Yeah. And 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 look, I mean, I will I will say this too. I I do think I, I I do disagree with you a little bit. I think that short passing game does work against Alabama because I don't. And hopefully it does because I don't I don't think their linebackers I don't think their linebackers are as great in coverage. Hence why Coffee, you know, Graham, myself, and and so many others pointed out that you know those linebackers can be attacked and they can. Um, in fact, we saw a couple of plays like McConkey. Like literally did that, you know. Um, it's how he scored one of his touchdowns on that. Well, short. if that's the case, then yeah, everything Georgia um, did against Michigan should be successful. Then, and and you know, I think in some ways that that defense of Michigan's is better than uh, is better than than uh, Alabama's, but then in other ways they're not because they don't have. I don't think they have the same dudes <laughs> that, that that Alabama does. Um, but to, again, to me, it like. It, it all comes down to Bryce Young and just Nick Saban being Nick Saban. So 
Spencer, you haven't made a pick. Guys prepared. What's your What's your pick, man? I'm gonna pick Alabama as well because I don't know. Don't put me. Don't. This is. I mean, this feels like as must win for Georgia as it's ever been. I hate that. And I feel like, like yeah. Because I feel cause, like because I, I don't think we mean it in the sense of Kirby. Kirby won't ever win a title, or that right. Kirby's legacy is tainted. What I what I think you mean by that, and please correct me or and add to this after I say this. I think what you mean is if we don't beat if we don't beat Saban now, we're probably not going to beat Saban before he retires. Yeah, that's that's kind of the sentiment that uh, that that I I think I'm going with. That yeah, if if Georgia does win a national championship and it comes after the Saban time, uh, the Saban era, then there will there will always be a Georgia won, but it was after Saban retired. Yeah, um, and because we've gone to battle with them so many times, mm-hmm. so many times since 2012, um, and even maybe before that, but so many, <coughs> excuse me. So many times we've gone to battle with them, and they've gotten the better of it. Uh, yeah, I think this is this is as good a chance as Georgia has got. So, and and also to to defend Kirby because like my perspective of him will not change. Like I'll be disappointed if they lose this game, but I understand what they're going against, and hence the reason why I'm picking Bama. But I I did I did some research, man. In the last thirty years, I probably could go back further, and I, I will at a later time. I could not find a single coach in his first stop, be very clear, in his first stop as a head coach. I could not find a coach that played for a national title two times in in five years. Yeah, that's the other thing uh, that's out there. Curry's 10 years younger than Nick Saban was when he first landed at Alabama. Nick Saban was like 55 years old when he first landed at Alabama, had the Miami job in the NFL, had the LSU job, had the Michigan State job. So at least three different jobs. And he was at Michigan State for four years. Yeah, so many years under his belt at that point. I mean, he was a veteran when he landed at Alabama. He had a lot of time underneath his belt. So yeah, I think the future of Georgia with Kirby Smart is fine. It just feels like we all know as, as Georgia fans that they have to get this one. They have to win this. They have to beat Saban at some point if it's really going to feel special um, or if it's going to reach the highest levels of special that it can reach. It's got to come against Alabama. It's got to come with getting that monkey off the back, slaying that dragon, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to pick Georgia because I don't don't think there's anything overwhelming from Alabama – Outs, obviously Nick Saban and Bryce Young, but I think Georgia has answers that they'll have to they'll have to come through with them. They'll have to present them. They'll have to produce those answers, but I think they're capable of doing that. They're capable of putting those equations together and finding the pressure to get after Bryce Young. Uh, there's not a magical uh, backup quarterback in the back pocket of Nick Saban this go around. Um, the wide receiver group isn't the kind of group that they've had before. Now, that's not to say somebody won't jump out and have a special day and somebody won't have a good day. You mentioned Ja'Cory Brooks earlier, 66-yard receiving uh, and, and a touchdown, 44-yard touchdown pass is half of that receiving yards or more than half of that. 
You take that 44-yard reception away, he had three catches for 22 yards. He didn't take over the game, I guess is what I'm trying to say, against Cincinnati. I think Georgia's in a position where they can prevent Alabama from having one person take the ball game over. And um, and I, I, I think that they can do that. I don't think Alabama – I just think this is the best chance, and so I'm going to pick Georgia to win. Reluctantly, I love how you this. love how you've changed your pick. You, you're like Pat Forty in the middle of his picks. Um, I well, yeah, because I, I just can't formulate something yeah. in my head that says I don't know. I mean, is it how likely is it for Alabama? And obviously, Alabama would be the one to do it. But how likely is it that Alabama is going to go super mode? superhuman mode twice in one season with the kind of resume that they've been all year. Yeah. I mean, what's more likely Georgia to play like they've played 12 out of the 13 games or Alabama to recreate their one time that they were superheroes against Georgia. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, and, and, I think and I, I the math is on yeah. Georgia's side. And, and, and I, I completely agree with you. I really do. But it's next item. I understand. Yeah, but no, no, no. It's also this SEC championship game. Bryce Young, last year, twenty twenty game. Devonte Smith, uh, twenty uh, twenty eighteen. Jalen Hurts, twenty seventeen. Tua. Those are all four of the guys in those losses that balled out beyond measure. That cost us yeah. those games. That's true. So history is on their side that they're going sure. to have someone show up, and. Like and that's maybe that's my, all it takes is one guy. And, 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 and three of those times were, were quarterbacks. Um, but we belabored this point. I, I, I'm picking Bama, but again, I am going to be cheering so hard, and I'm going to cry my eyes out. Like, I hope my wife is able to record, stay awake long enough to record me as we if we win because it's going to be a special moment for me. It's going to be a special moment for you. I'm going to FaceTime you. I I will never forget that SEC championship game with you and I sitting together. I, I, it will be a special night if Georgia wins. Um, but I, I just need to see it first, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Nope, not at all. I, um, I completely understand it, and I think going into the SEC championship game, I was in the same position of – you know, uh, we need to see it. Alabama's going to pull something out. Alabama's going to pull something out. I guess I'm at a point now where I just don't know what else they have to pull out. And obviously Bryce Young's a, a really, really key piece. Yeah. I just don't know what else is there uh, for them to go off with, especially if Georgia can get going offensively. If Georgia can turn this into something from an off, you know, if they can be clicking on offense and not find themselves in a quarter where Stetson goes three of, you know, 10 or three of seven and, you know, they're moving the football, then, then, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I think the avenues are there for the dogs this time. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, and I think I, I've I mean, said that a thousand times now. Yeah. But, but tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I've made it clear that I do think Georgia can win, right? Like, in, and show right. the ways that they can win, right? Right. Yeah. Because yes, uh, I just and and we we need to keep this in mind too. And then and then I'll be done. We are when we're recording this, we're six days away from the game. There's a lot of information that could change between now and Monday, and yes. 
if those two offensive linemen are out and include and, and adding on one or two of those DBs that are hurt, like I, I will like I would change my pick that Georgia is going to win this game because because that that I believe is insurmountable because I've seen those guys on the O line the O line and in the defensive backfield play and I know they're not good. Those aren't dudes yet. <laughs> and watch in a year or two they'll be elite, but but they're not dudes right now. Um, so to your point, there's not like it, it's the same thing with Robinson. If Robinson gets hurt, they don't have an elite running back backing him up. If Williams gets hurt, like that that changes everything, right? Because they don't yeah. have the depth. And that again is why this would be so frustrating if Georgia doesn't pull this off, because this is the weakest Alabama's been since possibly the 2015, 2019, 2019 season. Uh, no, I'll, I'll say 2015. Um, I will say A.D. Mitchell mm. may be some sort of ace in the – if there is a surprise player that comes out of nowhere, not A.D. Mitchell, but um, who's the other – Jay Ajay or, or – um, Ajay Ajay. Uh, Ajay Hall. Okay. Is, I, the, yeah. is the receiver for, um, for Alabama, Alabama that was – had such a great spring – but we haven't seen him really all season because of, you know, he can't get certain things right. If he gets those certain things right this week and he surprises, he comes out of nowhere. Maybe that is the surprise player that, that comes through for them that just gives Georgia fits. And, um, and it could be Jojo Earl. It could be Ja'Cory Brooks. It could be one of those players. Maybe something is clicks clicks for them this week. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Alabama, so it's definitely possible that they that something happens for them that is uncharacteristic to what they've been all season, yeah. like it did in the SEC championship game. All, all right, right, Roberto. Um, plenty of time still left before the game goes uh, goes on, but we've uh, we've locked in at least for now. We might uh, save some room for making changes, and we'll make those known if they do come to light. He's uh, on Twitter, SpiderDude64. I'm there as well, Spencer underscore Van Horn, V-A-N-H-O-R-N. Two friends, one love, and that is college football. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. Later. Later.